Hey there, this is Sean, editor of PutterZone.com, and you are listening to The Putter Zone Podcast, Episode 1. Welcome to the first ever, the inaugural PutterZone.com podcast. And I guess you could say that this is a long time coming because... I've been running PutterZone.com for the better part of five years now, and yet this is the first time I've podcasted. And for whatever reason, the timing finally felt right, so here we are. And the first thing I'm going to do is promise you that this show will not waste your time. With each episode, we're going to get right after it. And each episode is going to consist of, first off, an interview with someone in the world of Putter's or putting, someone we can listen to and learn from. And each episode is also going to delve into a personal passion of mine, which is putter fitting. So we'll tackle a specific putter fitting topic with each episode, something that you can apply to uh, raise your own game. And then lastly, I'll conclude each episode with what I call just cool stuff, stuff I like. And it could be golf equipment, but it could not. It could be a, a book or a gadget. You know, I always appreciate a good tip, and hopefully you'll find uh, what I think is cool, cool yourself. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome our first guest, and that is Kronos Putters. Now, I first met these guys out in Las Vegas in the desert in August. It was hot, and uh, they took me out to the trunk of their car, and what I saw kind of blew me away. So we'll get into that right now because I spoke with Mike Bookfuhrer of Kronos Putters earlier today. Here's our conversation. Hey, Mike, how you doing? Great, how are you? Very good. Hey, I want to tee things up by uh, telling our listeners how we met because it's kind of an interesting story. And uh, I, I was out at the PGA Expo in Vegas and it was a demo night at the Callaway Center. And we sort of just bumped into each other. And you noticed my name tag and you kind of introduced yourself. It seemed like you were familiar with the site. And we, we struck up a conversation and you let me know that you started a putter company with uh, Philip. And we started talking. And next thing you know, we're out in the parking lot and you're popping the trunk and showing me what you've got. And I, I have to say, I didn't really expect what I saw. I was I was truly impressed at the level of vision and quality uh, behind what you're doing. So uh, on that note, maybe we start at the beginning and just tell people what is Kronos Putters and, and what it is that you offer. Well, first off, thanks so much for the kind words. Uh, really appreciate it. But um, to best explain what we're all about is probably to tell you the story of why we came up with the name Kronos. Um, basically, Kronos was a, the Greek titan that came before all the gods that you think of when you think of Greek mythology. So before Zeus, Hera, Hades, all that. And to us, that basically represents, um, you know, like the Olympic gods represent the current state of, uh, of golf today, where people are caught up in gimmicks, trying to be like the pros, trying to be someone they're not. But we're getting back to quality, you know, the basics, what what uh, equipment really should be about, um, milling from one piece like they used to back in the day. But then also, we're trying to progress to the future. Like, for instance, our Phoenix logo, that symbolizes the rebirth. So us taking those old concepts of craftsmanship, quality, and, um, and you know, like one piece milling, and then bringing it to the future with more, more precise milling 
and also new designs and things like that and and you know bringing feel back to the forefront rather than trying to buy your game and when you say we you're talking about you and philip and i i have to let everyone know you guys are you're young guys you're young entrepreneurs and and that really stood out to me too like uh these guys are up and comers can you can you talk a bit a little bit about how you guys came together well, yeah, we yeah we are quite young. Um, we're both uh, 27, and um, it's kind of what we've seen in the inter- industry lately is a lot of stagnation. When early milling came about, um, they'd mill very rough forms, and they'd take them to a grinding wheel and grind off material to essentially that's that was the art of shaping them. And our art is more in the milling, so um, that's kind of part of what we infused by being kind of you know the younger crowd, but. Um, Philip and I, we both went to school together in San Diego, and Philip grew up in the milling industry. He was actually at a machine shop owned by his best friend, his best friend's father, and he saw all the prototypes from big names and small, you know, um, being milled there. And the changes in the industry that he saw are part of the reason why we're doing what we're doing is to kind of get back to those really early milled putters, but also make them better. So. That's kind of how that came to be. Yeah, in San Diego County, I've been down there, especially North San Diego County, and uh, it's like the mothership of putters. And and there's the the obvious ones like Odyssey and TaylorMade and such, these big edifices. But behind the scenes, there is a lot going on that people don't know about in terms of uh, crafting putters, milling putters. Uh, there's a lot of artisans and experts in that area. And it sounds like Philip sort of basically grew up in that in that uh, environment. Yeah, absolutely. Everywhere you go, I mean, always looking to different industries for innovation. Um, you know, for instance, uh, one you know one thing that people really like nowadays is PVD, and um, a lot a lot of PVD is actually done on uh, faucets, faucets and shower parts and things like that. And PVD is a, the the finish of the putter, right? Yeah, the PVD is the finish on the putter that actually. We use 11L17 carbon steel. Basically, if you turn your back on it, it's going to rust. So we PVD coat it. So it actually makes it more sta- uh, rust resistant than stainless steel. But um, where you know where this came from, uh, or where we were able to find it, was we saw this in the uh, faucet, you know, faucet and uh, shower parts industry. They were using it there because obviously all the water, you know, you have issues. So um, yeah, so we're able to look to different industries and. That being done in Carlsbad, obviously they had an eye towards putters. So, you know, yeah, it's kind of cool how everything sort of interconnects there, and you take inspiration from from different industries, and then you're surrounded by uh, so many companies and, and artisans down there who who know the craft. And it sounds like you guys sort of came right out of that. So, on that note, uh, I'd like to talk, you know, specifically about Chronos putters. And the the phrase that comes to mind when I uh, hold your putters is forward thinking classics they they stylistically they have sort of a traditional uh, look to them and yet on second glance uh, you see a lot of innovations in in a clear stylistic vision so I'd like to talk about one of those stylistic signatures and that is the uh, evident milling marks on your putters most putters are buffed and polished smooth but uh, your Kronos putters show more of the raw marking straight from the mill, and uh, I wanted to ask you why that is. Well, 
basically, like kind of like I said earlier, our art is in the milling. You know, early milling produced these raw forms, and then they were shaped by, you know, the art was the finishing, taking them to a grinding wheel, removing material, kind of giving it that soft look where, you know, everything's really rounded. There's no defined edges. That makes it really easy to cover up mistakes. But these milling marks are super, super fine. If you start taking our putters to a grinding wheel, you're going to lose all that. So we have to mill it incredibly precisely. I mean, milling is precise within a thousandth of an inch. Taking something to a grinding wheel, you know, you're just kind of eyeballing it. So, yeah, we want to maintain the, the beauty of the milling and also the precision. So that's why we keep those mill marks all over the putter. Well, I love it, and I hope uh, people listening out there get a chance to see it up close because it is really cool. It kind of takes you right to the source, but like you say, it's extremely precise in terms of uh, the measurements and quality of the putters. And uh, that takes us to you know my next question, which would be a quote that I heard from you guys, which is essentially you aim for Swiss watch precision in your putters, and I kind of like that phrase. And so I'm wondering if you can elaborate on, on what that means and how you achieve it. Yeah, I mean, milling is all about precision. Just to give you an idea, on the face of the putter, if we took off one thousandth of an inch, it would remove half a gram from the putter. And one thousandth of an inch is a third of a human hair. So getting dialing in the weight right, I mean, it really requires uh, <laughs> an incredible amount of precision and um, a good program, but also good people loading the parts. Um, you know, casting, welding, and stamping, like like we told you, I think when we brought up the switch watch, watch precision that we're aiming for, you know, casting leads to deformities, and you have seams, you know, where the two molds come together that you have to, you know, you have to buff out, and you know that's imprecise. Welding, again, you know, obviously you're not getting the the precision of a CNC milling, but also there's often an air pocket, like an interruption between between the uh, the neck or hosel and the uh, and the actual head of the putter. Um, and uh, yeah, often, yeah, uh, often that air pocket will create a little pinhole as the air tries to escape the weld. Um, and then stamping, like we told you earlier, people taking a pin and then taking a hammer and pounding, driving that into the, the putter. Um, I mean, if you just look, look at a stamp, it creates all kinds of deformities. So we will actually never cast, never weld, and never stamp any of our putters. And I think that's a distinction worth uh, clarifying here is that many putters are milled, but what you're talking about is taking the milled putter to its uh, ultimate precision, so to speak, by not doing any of these additional things to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all these things, really, they're shortcuts. You know, I mean, a lot of, a lot of companies, they'll cast, and then they'll maybe mill the face. Uh, milling milling time is incredibly expensive, and it's it's a skill. And if if you're able to cast the putter and then just mill away the face and you know call it a milled putter, um, you know that's your thing. I I I need to be able to sleep at night, so I'm not going to do that. Right. But, um, but yeah, even a so milled we, we putter, you could stamp a milled putter, right? You could take a milled putter that's that's it's been perfectly milled and yet stamp it and still uh, encounter some of those issues you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, depending um, depending upon where you stamp it, often some people will stamp the necks of like a let's say a answer style putter, and that'll kind of bend it out of shape. But even even if you're stamping somewhere where it's really solid, I mean, it's creating a deformity. It's um, it's almost like a like a crater inside right. the putter. It's I mean, the whole thing. If you if you look at one of our putters, every every little every you know little inch, every thousandth of an inch, it's all planned out. It flows beautifully, and then to t- 
to take all that away in one section and just pound something into it, it, it kind of ruins the purity of it. So that's why we're not willing to do that. Yeah, I get it. And and that's yeah, that's one of the things that stood out to me when we first spoke out in that parking lot was just the sense of clarity and vision that you have. So um, it's kind of cool to revisit that. Uh, one of the other things we talked about, sort of the innovations and in, in point of views that you have in your putters, and, and one thing I noticed was that they have fairly thick top lines. And for those of you out there listening who might not know uh, the term top line, the top line is essentially the width of the putter face from the leading edge of the face to the point where it drops back down into the flange. So it's that basically that strip along the top of the putter. And so why do you opt for a thicker top line in your putters? Yes. Well, basically, our putters are really all about the feel. You know, a lot of companies trying to kind of sell hope and technology. They'll try to move mass away, you know, away from the top line, away from, you know, the striking surface. But it's it, the putt is going to feel a lot better when there's mass behind the ball, which, in, in my opinion, that's where it belongs. And, you know, putting is really it's part art, part science, but it's really all about the feel when it comes down to it. So that's why we do that. Very cool. And uh, another thing that, that stood out to me was the, the sight line on, on your blade putter. And we really haven't talked about your models, the touch blade and the metronome mallet, right? Yeah, right. right. Those so, are, yeah, those are two models. And with the touch blade, uh, when you look down at setup, the sight line is just a little south of center. In other words, the sight line is a little closer to the heel of the putter than the toe, whereas on most uh, retail putters you see the sight line and they just sort of stick it right down the middle on yours it's just a little closer to the heel and and I want you to explain why that is well a lot of golfers and sadly most designers don't really think too much about where they're placing the sight line the the sweet spot of the putter is going to be where the center of gravity is 50% of the weight is going to be on one side of the point and 50% of the weight is going to be on the other side one on the toe one on the heel so a properly placed sight line will be right at that point. So that when you line it up behind the ball and you strike the ball right there, you know where the sweet spot is. Not having it there to me is like having the X on a treasure map in the wrong spot. So we go to great pains. We actually test our putters with a balance blade to make sure that they balance directly on that sight line. And with the, with the neck and hosel being towards the heel, it shifts, the, shifts the, um, that just a little bit towards the heel. So that's why on that model it's right there. Yeah, even I, I think I heard once that Tiger Woods on his original Scotty Cameron would hit the ball uh, just a little south of the dot, which was essentially the sight line on, on his putter for that reason, because he knew where the sweet spot was. So essentially, you're helping the golfer find that sweet spot. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure Tiger would have appreciated something that told him exactly where it was. <laughs> yeah, his golf IQ is pretty high, so he figured it out on his own. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hey, the uh, the touch blade, too, another thing that stood out to me was this uh, UST frequency filtered shaft, which gives it a kind of a cool look. It, it, it's it got a sort of technological uh, profile to it that, that I think is a nice complement and contrast to the more traditional style of the head. And uh, I, the name touch and your emphasis on feel, I know it kind of all ties into the shaft, but can you explain why that shaft is on that putter? Okay, yeah, we, we don't ignore any aspect of the putter. You know, we, ionic grips, we use, you know, the, the best shafts, air, aircraft-grade epoxy for, for the, you know, putting the shaft into the head. 
but yeah, that particular shaft uh, we like because it actually increases the swing weight of the club about two points without increasing the overall weight of the club. And also in the joint, um, you see where the steel joins the, the, uh, the graphite. In between there, there's that little aluminum joint. It has a, an elastomer in there, which slightly dampens the vibration. So it's kind of something we tested out, had a lot of people try, and, you know, and uh, something we just really liked for that particular model. So we went with it. Yeah, well, I can attest that it uh, not only looks cool, but it uh, definitely feels good. So that, that was kind of something that really jumped out at me because you just don't see many putters with that type of shaft on it. And uh, another thing is what you call the compass scored face. And I know that that has some unique properties in terms of how it's milled. And uh, maybe you can elaborate on, on, on that and, and why you do that. Okay, well, uh, without, without geeking out on you too much about that, um, we're actually the first to ever do it on a uh, one-piece offset hosel uh, like we did with the touch. Uh -huh. Actually, it's a, it's a very difficult thing to do on, on that type of model machining. But um, what, what we did was we, we used different machine paths. Instead of doing one path, we did two. But um, the end result, what the golfer wants to know, is that there's a more consistent pattern. If you look at traditional face milling, you'll see tight diamonds on the top and bottom, uh, you know, by the sole and then by the top of the top line, and then kind of lines in the middle. We wanted to achieve something that was much more uniform, so you get these diamonds with the way that we cut our faces. So that was that was the point behind that. Well, the sound you're gonna hear now is me taking the cover off one of your putters and, and looking at that compass scored face and it definitely has uh, got a cool look to it. And I, I like the minimal aesthetics too where there's really no marking, uh, no brand markings on the face. Uh, can you talk about how the sort of the aesthetic came together on these putters? There's sort of a, a rest I would call it a restrained uh, classicism in the look. It's very elegant, and unlike a lot of putters, it's not screaming and shouting at you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's kind of, I mean, going back to what I, you know, I said in the beginning, I was trying to get back to classics and traditional. If if the putter is, you know, we feel if it's a quality piece and it's beautiful, that should be able to speak for itself. You know, in today's modern era, you see a lot of milled putters. How much yellow can I put on there? How much gold can I put on there? Bigger engraving, you know. And, and it's um, it's just, I kind of see it as a race to the bottom. So we're just trying to make something that's going to be timeless and beautiful. And, uh, you know, we're the only ones not yelling. So that's how we <laughs> like to stand out. Right on. And uh, I, I, can't, I can't conclude this interview without talking about these putter covers. Uh, when I first saw them, they were they were sort of in pieces in the trunk of your car, and I'm like, "What is that?" And you're like, "You know, we're making our own putter covers out of leather." Now it's kind of like you're shitting me, right? And you're like, "No, seriously." And you know, here it is in my hands right now. And uh, we should note that most companies get their covers through a third-party vendor who, you know, embroiders whatever logo they want on it. But but this is sort of your own original creation, and you sort of like. Um, branded or something maybe you can <laughs> maybe you can tell people what what this cover is all about yeah basically when we, we you know we had we had these putters we felt were just amazing and we were in love with them they're babies and um, what was out there just we, we weren't impressed you know they had they had faux leather head covers they're embroidered it was basically choose the color choose the embroidery fit in this box and um, they just they just didn't do it for us so I have family in the fashion industry 
and my grandmother um, came over here from Europe and she made hats. She was a hat designer and my, my cousin has a denim brand and my uncle makes all kinds of clothes. So with a little bit of their guidance and being really close to LA, I was able to figure out how to make our own covers and do it in a way that we're gonna get something that's just as special as our putters. Um, so what we did, instead of doing faux leather, we got real leather. You know, we're all, all about being genuine and, and getting the best stuff. And then we didn't want to embroider at all. So kind of racking our brains, how are we going to do this? And we, we decided, uh, what's a good way to mark leather? We'll get a branding iron. So we actually brand, we, we hand brand each and every one of these. And um, yeah, so what you see is actually a brand in there. And it was, it's a lot of work, trust me. Yeah, it looks like it, but boy, it's a it's a sort of the the fitting uh, frosting on the proverbial cake of your putters. So, uh, congrats on on all that you've accomplished since since we first met uh, a little over six months ago, and it's been a pleasure catching up with you. And I'm sure we'll revisit Kronos Putters here on the Putter Zone podcast again. Uh, everyone, uh, maybe tell everyone. Uh, where they can get your putters and kind of where things stand in terms of availability. Well, you can check out uh, chronosgolf.com and then go to our dealers um, and you can see if you have one close to you. If not, they're also available online through our dealers, some of them. And um, right now we have the Touch, which is, you know, the uh, kind of classic heel toe weighted putter and the Metronome, which is a heel shafted, double bench shaft face balance mallet, uh, D like a mid mallet. And uh, we actually have two new models coming out in about four or five months, I'd say. And uh, I, I don't want to give away too much, but we're pretty excited about them. So, All right. Well, keep us that. in suspense, folks. These are some badass putters coming right out of SoCal from two young entrepreneurs. And uh, uh, give them a high five for what they're doing. And, uh, Mike, thanks so much for your time. And we will be talking to you sooner rather than later. All right. Thanks for having me. All right, man. See ya. See ya. I'd like to thank Mike and Kronos Golf for being the proverbial canary in the coal mine here on the first ever Putter Zone podcast. And after we spoke, Mike did send some photos of those putters that he mentioned are coming out in the months ahead. And let me tell you, they do look exciting. So uh, if I were you, I would stay tuned at chronosgolf.com. Trust me, these guys are up-and-comers. I'd now like to transition to a topic that is uh, very near and dear to me, and that is putter fitting. And as I mentioned earlier, with each episode, we're going to delve into a specific putter fitting topic. And the first one I'd like to tackle is lie angle. Now, a lot of you listening may know what lie angle is, but a lot of you may not. And I bet if you were to go over to your local golf course today and line up all the people teeing off and ask them about lie angle, a lot of them uh, would give you a blank stare. So that's something I want to delve into right now and uh, tell you why lie angle is important to your performance on the green. Now let's start with a croquet mallet. You know what that is. And if you look at a croquet mallet, the lie angle is 90 degrees because it's going straight down into the head. The lie angle is essentially the measurement of the sole of the club uh, in relation to the angle of the shaft where it enters the head. And so uh, on a putter, obviously, not like a croquet mallet, the shaft is angled toward the body, and so you typically end up with a lie angle of, in the range of 70 to 72 degrees, depending on the putter. But you'll often see them uh, in the high 60s or even 73, 74, particularly for 
certain golfers who have been specifically fit for their optimal lie angle. Lie angle matters because if it's off for you and your setup, you may, may be putting or setting up to the ball with the toe slightly raised off the ground or uh, also the opposite of that would be the heel raised off the ground and so if the lie angle on your putter is incorrect for your setup you're going to see those two effects either the toe raised or the heel raised and that can really have an insidious uh, and mystifying impact on your putting if the toe is off the ground uh, you may be missing left uh, pulling the ball and a typical result of the heel being off the ground is, is a push to the right uh, for a right-handed golfer so there's a lot of reasons for that and I really don't want to get uh, too geeked out on it but the point being that when you set up to your putt if you are fit for your lie angle if that lie angle is correct for you then this you will see that the sole is flush to the ground at setup and you can test this out by having a buddy look at look at you as you set up or setting up in front of a mirror and if you see one of those things, uh, one of those red flags like the toe being up or the heel being up, then you're going to want to investigate getting that lie angle adjusted. Or when you look for your next putter, you're going to want to make sure that's a factor uh, in your purchase is making sure that it's either fit at the point of purchase or that you plan to get it fit so that uh, the sole is flush. And, and it's all relative to uh, that lie angle where it enters the head and how it fits your particular stance. So on that note, uh, that is our first putter fitting topic that you'll maybe want to file away. And in a bit of shameless self-promotion, I'm also going to mention my book, Putter Perfection, which is all about walking you through the basics of putter fitting. You'll get a lot out of this podcast. You can get a lot just searching these terms online. But if you really want to dig into it and get it all in one fell swoop, then check out Putter Perfection on Amazon.com. All right, it's time to conclude this podcast with the Cool Stuff segment. And the first item that I'd like to mention is the Champ brand Zarma Fly Golf Tee. Now, I first experienced this tea or was exposed to this tea out in Vegas at the expo and I've since put it into play and I'm just really impressed. It's a biodegradable synthetic golf tee, super resilient. Uh, maybe I'm not swinging hard enough because I've uh, literally had the same Zarmafly golf tee in my pocket for weeks. Uh, just really durable. And they come in all these cool colors. You've got Ricky Fowler creamsicle. You've got fluorescent green. And I'm, I've got the fluorescent green ones. And that's another reason I've had the same tee for weeks. It's very easy to find when it pops out of the ground after you swing. So if you're looking for a durable, uh, fun, biodegradable golf tee at a nice price, then you can't go wrong with the Champ. Zarmafly golf tee. And the other item I'm going to mention uh, this time around is uh, for all you baseball fans out there, the Major League Baseball season is underway. I'm fired up and there's an app for iPhone. I don't know if it's uh, for the other uh, mobile operating systems yet, but it's called the Tops Pennant app. And it's just a cool kind of visual infographic style representation of box scores. And what's really neat is that it goes back decades, so you can 
look at a call it really any game in the 70s, 60s, 50s, 90s, right up through yesterday's games. And there's kind of this function where you can play, you hit the play button, and, and see the game sort of unfold, not in a highlight sense, there's no video, but it's it's like a visual playing of the box score. So if you're kind of a baseball geek and you like stats and you like to kind of go back uh, to when you were a kid and look at games that, that you saw then, or if you just want to find out what happened yesterday, very cool app in only 99 cents. So that's definitely high on my coolest shelf. So without further ado, that's the end of the first ever Putter Zone podcast. I hope you'll be around for the next one. Until then, don't fear the green, conquer it.